Welcome to the ugly truth. Step one, train the people only to consume. Step two, infiltrate adults with the news. Step three, indoctrinate the children through the schools and the music and the apps on the phones that they use. Step four, separate the right from the left. Step five, separate the white from the black. Step six, separate the rich from the poor. Use religion and equality to separate them more. Step seven, fabricate a problem made a lie. Step eight, put it on the news every night. Step nine, when people start to fight and divide, take control. This is called situation design they can't stop us cause we're ready to fight trying to brainwash us but we won't let freedom die the whole world's brainwashed everybody pick a team start a riot in the streets the whole world's brainwashed it's us against them and ain't you against me we're with you tom we will not back down this is the ugly truth hard to listen to but impossible to ignore. Yeah, thank you, Tom McDonald from hangovergang.com. We love his music. Now, there's some of it that you can't just play on regular radio, but uh, he is an artist that is well-spoken and has a lot of good beats mm-hmm. and gave everyone, including us, direct permission to use his music and his material in our productions he said, whatever you want to use it for, it doesn't matter. Just, I said, use it. Here's my permission. I give you permission. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so we also, under the Fair Use Act, we always analyze these different things. And uh, according to that act, then we can use that safely and take a look at some of these things. But that's Tom McDonald. We completely give him credit and we drive you to his website, which he appreciates because we buy all his albums and merchandise and we hope you do too at hangovergang.com. So anyway, thank you, Tom. Now it's time to talk about the ugly truth. We're, we're going to have more of Tom featured in this article, so that's why I wanted to let you know you are going to hear and see more of Tom McDonald. He's given us permission on each of these videos. So are we pushing for World War III? Yeah, some people are talking like that. Well, I think that a lot of people are, and there's a problem here, okay? Mm-hmm. War is often, too often, fueled by overcharged emotion. Right? True. It's all about emotion. Like, I'm so mad. Well, what's overcharged emotion, though, heightens division. That's mm-hmm. what creates our, our sides. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then an awareness of division creates an animosity for the other guy. The yeah. other side, right? Right. Like, he's right. different. Now I know, now that I'm aware of it, that's why I hate this end racism or racism awareness that they started here a few years ago because racism went away from like the late 60s after they finally squished it and it kind of went away and nobody's talking about it nobody's you know really racist until obama gets in office and now everybody's racist again yeah and everybody's aware of it because they keep talking about it and yes. it brings it to the front of your mind. And when you do that, it creates emotion. Mm-hmm. And when you create emotion, overcharged emotion heightens division. An awareness of division creates animosity. Animosity creates a hunger for war. Mm-hmm. Tonight, as we discuss the very difficult topic of war between Israel and Palestine, please remember to be able to think clearly we must keep our emotions in check and we're gonna hear a little warning from Tom here war is coming 
You can hear it in the distance. It sounds like all the screams of a million men and women. You can smell it in the air and see it on your television. And the government don't care. They see the money, not the missiles. War is coming. And there's nowhere you can hide. We get a 30-minute warning before the bomb reaches our side. You can run for somewhere safer, but you'll just run out of time because there's nothing you can do except prepare yourself to die. War is coming. Can you feel it? Has your fear become a secret? Who are you more scared of, Donald Trump or North Korea? Are you worried when you're reading all the headlines in the evening? Even atheists will pray that they survive and start believing. War is coming. Born from money. Worn and ugly like it's always been. The bullets just got faster and the bombs are made from hydrogen. America the brave will have to earn her stars and stripes again. She wrote the books on history but someone else might write her end war is coming war is coming war has come to get the west it was beating down our door while we were beating on our chests it was making better weapons while we laughed at making threats and now it's come to get its vengeance and we've just become oppressed war is coming it's okay to be racist as long as you hate on the Caucasians Teaching white kids that their shades the same as school shooters and rapists Maybe I'm tripping cause the white children have been getting taught that they got white privilege by the white guys in the high heels who identify as the white women I'm not proud to be white but I'm fine with it cause I'm not allowed to have pride in it Cause the colonizers and the white biggest made white history my business I ain't never gonna give a damn if you like me I ain't gonna trip when they stereotype me I'm a white boy and a white boy like me knows that all lives matter Bite me when I was younger they taught me to never see color To treat every man as if he was my brother but now that we're grown up We hate one another for all of the ways that we struggle and suffer They coming for better we running for cover the government wants us to and dumber, addicted and drunk in the gutter So we never wake up and never recover Call me culture vulture cause I rap good I don't pop stands and smoke backwoods But they call me a wigger and label me Hitler And hate like I'm wearing a clan hood It ain't left or right or black or white It's good and evil I leave folks ain't normal people United we stand and divide and we fall America we gotta get real You were segregated that was not fair You were enslaved they did not care But you were never on a plantation And my generation was not there That's trauma in your DNA Causing what we see today I pray to God you staying strong Don't wanna see no man in pain Your white folks I'm embarrassed Some of y'all are such Karens That prejudice you inherited was racism from your parents Get that poison out your veins Whites and blacks are all the same They want us in our graves Just let me try to explain I swear they want us in a race war Dying every day for Whose lives matter
ain't nobody gonna win Everybody gonna see that the color of your skin Don't change the color that you bleed I swear they want us in a race for Dying every day for Whose lives matter more I won't be dying in the race for Our government is paid for Cause our lives matter more Alright, welcome back from the music break there with Tom McDonald and Adam Calhoun. Thank you, brothers A-Cal and Tom. You guys are awesome for the stance that you've taken uh, against the propaganda and the brainwashing in our mm -hmm. society. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just so much garbage out there that's trying to lead you to division and war. And... We're pointing that out to you tonight because there's a lot of talk about that going on in the news right now. Again, we'll reiterate the fact like we did in our last segment that this war has been going on for a long time. Yes. But this newest conflict started on the 7th, which was a full day and a half before anyone was talking about it. I told you about it the next day, the same day. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, they, you know, I guess the Israeli Dome, I guess, was, you know... Iron Dome was penetrated. That's the headline I'm getting. And, you're and like, I was I was surprised. I was shocked too. But yeah. I look around on the news and no nobody's even and talking nobody's about saying it. anything. It's yeah. not even trending. Nope. And then the next day, every single trending hashtag is something to do with the war. And it's like, why did they ignore it? Ignore it for a full day? I don't get that. Doesn't make part. sense. It's almost like they were forced into covering it, mm -hmm. like a like a. Oh, particular local story I remember on the death of a guy that got squished <laughs> by a truck. And uh, nobody wanted to talk about it until we brought it up. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this is going to be a crash course in world history as it pertains to the Israeli-Palestinian War. Now, tonight we're going to analyze this media that this guy has put together here. This is, a, I thought, one of the better, and that's why I want you to take a look at it tonight. Mm -hmm. I want you to take a look at it. I want everybody out there to take a look at this. And see what you think about his angle, because if I remember right, this particular one is the fact that he's going to lead us to understand or to believe something that may be completely contrary to what you thought this war was about. Hmm. So without giving you too much of a clue about what that is, this is going to be a surprise as to why they're fighting. Uh, I know I to am, some people. I am aware of this channel, and I have used several of these videos in my science classes. So it is definitely an educational channel. Well, I'm glad I picked a good one. Mm -hmm. We analyze this media tonight under the Fair Use Act, so tune in right now for our reaction as soon as we get done watching this. I think it's around 12 minutes. Yep. Hi, I'm John Green. This is Crash Course World History, and today we're going to talk about Israel and Palestine, hopefully without a flame war. Yeah, yeah, big ask, Mr. Green. I mean, that fight goes back thousands and thousands of years. Except 
thousands of years ago, there wasn't an Islam yet, so yeah, no. Also, let me submit that very little of this conflict between Israel and Palestine over the last several decades has been about, like, theological differences between Islam and Judaism. No one's arguing about whether the most important prophets descended from Abraham's son Isaac or his son Ishmael, right? It's not about whether to fast during Yom Kippur or Ramadan, it's about land. Portraying the conflict as eternal or as religious makes it feel intractable in a way that frankly it isn't. So instead, let's begin as most historians do in the late 19th century. And instead of talking about religion, let's follow the lead of historians like James Gelvin and discuss competing nationalisms. Okay, so in the late 19th century, the Ottoman Empire ruled over what we now know as Palestine. The population there, according to Ottoman records from 1878, was 87% Muslim, 10% Christian, and 3% Jewish. Everybody spoke Arabic as the daily language, and in Jerusalem, the religious populations were roughly equal. To give you a sense of life in Ottoman Palestine, an Arab Orthodox Christian musician named Wasif Jahariya grew up in Jerusalem in the first decade of the 20th century, learning the Quran in school and celebrating both Passover and Eid with his Jewish and Muslim neighbors. Ottoman Palestine was, in short, a place in which people of different religious faiths lived peacefully together. All right, let's go to the thought bubble. The late 19th century was the golden age of nationalism in Europe, and no place was crazier than the Habsburg Austro-Hungarian Empire, in which at least 10 different nations all wanted their own state. And in that hyper-nationalistic empire lived a Jewish journalist named Theodor Herzl, who had hoped that Jews could assimilate into European nations, but soon became convinced that the Jewish people needed to leave Europe and settle in their own state. The concept of Jewish nationalism came to be known as Zionism. It's important to keep in mind that most Zionists were secular Jews, so they imagined Israel as a state for Jews more than a Jewish state. In 1917, the British government, hoping to gain the support of Jewish people, issued the Balfour Declaration, promising, quote, the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. A bold promise considering that Palestine was still technically Ottoman as they hadn't yet lost World War I. Of course, they would soon, but it turned out that the British were over-promisers when it came to Palestine because a year before the Balfour Declaration, the British had secretly promised the French that they would divide up the Arab territories and the Brits would keep Palestine. Furthermore, in 1915, other British officials had promised the ruler of Mecca, Sharif Hussein, that he would rule over an Arab state, including Palestine, if he led an Arab revolt against Ottoman rule, which Hussein promptly did. So basically, the Brits had promised Palestine to the Meccans, to themselves, and to the Zionists. What could go wrong? Thanks, Thought Bubble. So shortly after the end of the war, the British established a colony in Palestine with the idea that they'd rule until the Palestinians were ready to govern themselves. At which point the people living in Palestine were like, well, now seems good, and the British were like, yeah, but maybe not just yet. Meanwhile, the British established separate institutions for Christians, Jews, and Muslims, making it difficult for Palestinian Christians and Muslims to cooperate, and easier for the British to, quote, divide and rule the inhabitants of Palestine. Again, what could go wrong? Meanwhile, the British did attempt to honor the Balfour Declaration's promise to, quote, facilitate Jewish immigration under suitable conditions. Between 1920 and 1939, the Jewish population of Palestine increased by over 320,000 people. In fact, by 1938, Jews were just under 30% of the population of Palestine. And the growing Jewish population focused on purchasing land from absentee non-Palestinian Arab landowners and then evicting Palestinian farmers who were living and working there. By by controlling both the land and the labor, they hoped to establish a more secure community within Palestine. But of course, these practices heightened tensions between Jewish people and Arab Palestinians during the 1920s and 1930s. Along 
the way, Palestinian Arabs began to think of themselves as the Palestinian nation. And that growing sense of nationalism erupted in 1936 when the Palestinians revolted against the British. With the help of Jewish militias, the British brutally suppressed the Palestinian revolt, but in the aftermath, the British issued a white paper limiting Jewish immigration to Palestine and calling for the establishment of a joint Arab and Jewish state in Palestine within 10 years. This managed to leave no one happy. The Zionists were angry at Britain for limiting Jewish immigration at a time when Jews particularly needed to leave Europe, and the Arab Palestinians were unhappy about the prospect of waiting 10 years for a state. And then came World War II, which was actually quite a peaceful time in Palestine. But then it ended, and tensions resumed, and the British realized that colonies like Palestine were far more trouble than they were worth, so they handed the issue of Palestine over to the newly created United Nations. They were like, oh hey there, United Nations, for your first problem. So in November of 1947, the United Nations voted to partition Palestine into separate Palestinian and Jewish states. The partition plan called for two states roughly equal in size, but the borders looked like a jigsaw puzzle. I mean, you do not look at this map and think, yeah, that's gonna work. Sure enough, it didn't. And soon after the plan was announced, the cleverly named 1948 Arab-Israeli war broke out with Israel on the one side and the Palestinians and many Arab states on the other. The Israelis won, and when an armistice was signed in 1949, Israel occupied a third more land than they would have had under the UN proposal. Meanwhile, Jordan controlled and later annexed the West Bank and the old city of Jerusalem, and Egypt controlled the Gaza Strip. Over 700,000 Palestinians fled their homes and became refugees in the surrounding Arab countries. And to Israelis, this war was the beginning of their nation. To the Palestinians, it was the Nabka, the catastrophe, as they became stateless. Over the next 18 years, nothing changed territorially, and then in 1967, Israel and several Arab states went to war again. It was called the Six Days War because, get this, it lasted six days. Israel won and then gained control over the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, the Sinai Peninsula and the Golan Heights. So the 1947 proposal looked like this. By 1967, things looked like this. Then the UN passed Resolution 242. Man, they are good at naming resolutions, which outlined a basic framework for achieving peace, including Israel withdrawing from the territory acquired in the war, and all participants recognizing the rights of both a Palestinian and an Israeli state to exist. This, of course, did not happen. After the war, the broader Israeli-Arab conflict morphed into a more specific Israeli-Palestinian Palestinian conflict. And this is a nice moment to note that not all Muslims are Arabs, not all Arabs are Palestinians, and not all Palestinians are Muslims. Like there's a significant Christian minority of Palestinians, for instance. Palestinian is a word used to describe the ethnic identity of those who have historically lived in Palestine. There were, for instance, lots of Christians in the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or PLO, formed in 1964 and led by Yasser Arafat. The PLO oversaw guerrilla groups that attacked civilians, but also used nonviolent approaches to try to achieve a Palestinian Palestinian state, and meanwhile, the Israeli government began to establish Jewish settlements in what had been Palestinian territory, including East Jerusalem, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. There are now over 350,000 Jewish settlers in the West Bank and over 200,000 in East Jerusalem, and these settlements are illegal according to international law, but Israel counters by saying that they aren't really illegal because Palestine isn't really a state. By the late 1980s, Palestinians launched the first intifada, which literally means shaking off. And this began with like boycotts of Israeli products and services and refusing to pay Israeli taxes. But when the Israeli armed forces cracked down on protesters, violence ensued. And the first intifada also saw the founding of Hamas, which launched the first suicide bombing against Israel in 1993. Hamas gained support partly because of its militancy, but mostly because of its social welfare projects in Gaza. It built and staffed schools, 
mosques, and clinics. The most important legacy of the First Intifada was the emergence of peace talks between Palestinians and Israelis. This led to the Oslo Accords and a peace process based on our old friend United Nations Security Council Resolution 242. But there were a lot of issues to resolve. I mean, putting aside the question of, like, how to make two states that don't look like a jigsaw puzzle, there was the question of the Jewish settlement and the right for Palestinian refugees and their descendants to return to Palestine, water rights, which are a big deal in that part of the world, and so on. It's very complicated. So then came the Clinton talk. So it's time for the open letter. But first, let's see what's inside of the globe. Oh, look, it's a collection of philandering American presidents. An open letter to Bill Clinton. Hey, Bill, so your talks probably came closer than any other time in recent history to an actual peace deal between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak was willing to give up more land currently claimed by Israel than at any time in the past. Even Yasser Arafat was surprised. Although not all the questions got addressed, you were definitely closing in on something. But in the end, it didn't happen. And since then, not to criticize you, things have gotten kind of worse and worse and worse. Worst of all, that was your big legacy moment. Now all you've got is the conflict in Northern Ireland getting resolved while you were president. In short, it could have been amazing, but instead it was kind of meh. Kind of like your presidency, actually. At least you always have those vodka-soaked hugs with Boris Yeltsin to look back on. Best wishes! John Green. So the Clinton talks failed, Ehud Barak's government was undermined, and then in September of 2000, Prime Minister candidate Ariel Sharon led a group of 1,000 armed guards to the Temple Mount in the Old City of Jerusalem. To Muslims, this is known as the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and it's the third holiest site in Islam, behind only the Kaaba in Mecca and the Prophet's Mosque in Medina. And it's the holiest site in Judaism, so in short, it's a pretty touchy place to march to with 1,000 armed guards. So the event sparked a massive protest, which eventually led to the much more more violent second intifada in which more than 3,000 Palestinians and 1,000 Israelis were eventually killed. In 2002, the Israelis claiming to act in defense of civilians began construction of a wall around the West Bank, but instead of following the borders established after the 1967 war, the barrier was built to include many Israeli settlements on the Israeli side. To Israelis, that was about self-defense. To Palestinians, it was an illegal land grab. Then in 2005, Yasser Arafat died, and in an election shortly thereafter, Hamas won a majority of the parliamentary seats. Since then, Hamas and the Palestinian Authority have sort of divided how to govern Palestine, and it's also sort of been poorly governed. In the past 10 years, Hamas has frequently launched rocket attacks into Israel. Israel has responded with extended and extremely violent invasions of Palestinian territory that have seen thousands of Palestinians killed, many of them militants, but also many not. Both parties claim to be responding to the provocations of the other, but much of the conflict reflects a consistent failure on all sides to understand understand the legitimacy of the other's narrative. To Palestine, the Palestinian people have been denied a state not just since the formation of Israel, but also for decades before that, and now they live under what amounts to a military occupation. And that's all true. To Israel, the Jewish people clearly need a homeland which the United Nations established. And they certainly aren't the first nation-state to consolidate and increase their territory via military victory. And they need to protect their nation against the many active threats made against them by their neighbors. That's also true. It's important to understand the internal logic of these competing nationalist visions. For both Zionist and Palestinian national visions to eventually work, it's necessary to understand the right of each to exist and the legitimacy of each's historical narrative. But these problems aren't thousands of years old, and they aren't intractable. They emerged in the British Mandatory Period. But let's hope that by understanding that this isn't an endless religious war, that we might be closer to seeing its end. Thanks for watching.
I'll see you next week. Crash Course is filmed here in the Chad and Stacey Immicult studio in Indianapolis, and it's made possible by our subscribers on Southern. That guy's really entertaining. He is. And educational. And had an angle there that this was not a religious war. This is all about land. Yeah. And bad management. And bad management, yes. Definitely yeah. bad governance. And so that kind of ties into what we're talking about with all the stuff that you're hearing about, oh, this is a uh, us against them, and, and it's this division of people like Christians and Arabs. Mm -hmm. That isn't what the war is about. That war started, yes, back when Ishmael and Isaac existed. Right. That's when the separation started with Abram. Right. But that's not what we're talking about here. They're not fighting over brotherhood. They're fighting over land. Right. So for those of you that knew that already, yeah, no big revelation. But for those who you who think this is a holy war and that this is something that we should think like it's the end of the world or... Or, you know, these talks of wars and rumors of wars, that that is the end of the world. Mm -hmm. God says in the Bible that do not let these talks of wars and rumors of wars make you think that's the end of the Bible, the end oh. of the war, and the end of the world. Don't let it distract you from the real purpose. Because Jesus will come like a thief in the night, like, like that. Right. Okay? So what we have to do is use our discernment. And we must cut through the propaganda. And... Also, because it's um, about the land grab and not about religion, there is no reason to be calling people who aren't necessarily supporting one side or the other Zionists or anti-Semites. Right, right. It's stop not about making, religion. Stop so being stop racist. making about it. Yes. Yeah. So stop dividing people and realize that it's just a business transaction. Yep. Okay. Exactly. With some hard feelings. Mm-hmm. A lot of death and destruction. I know. But the it's war ugly, propaganda, ugly, ugly, ugly. remember to always use your best discernment when it comes to war propaganda. And we are in a war right now. We're not talking about necessarily just the Israel-Palestine war. Well, I'm talking about the war that we're in right now. This mm -hmm. is good versus evil. This is a war in the mind. And this is something that we really have to pay attention to. They will always tell you what they want you to hear. Remember? Mm -hmm. The media will always tell you what they want in order to create emotion. Without the propaganda, there would be fewer wars. This is a battle of your mind. They want to get into your head. You are the product. They want to manufacture you. Mm -hmm. They do that through subliminal advertising, through war propaganda. Do you believe... What the media tells you, if you remember that they always have a reason for what they tell you, then you'll realize that they are manipulating you. Hey, Derek. You good, bro? You ain't picking up calls, dog. What's wrong, man? Daryl, you good? Here. Don't lose yourself. Like snore, like snore, like snore.
going to lead us pretty much uh, into the closing of the ugly truth but first I want to just tell you that that wasn't necessarily a Tom McDonald video that was Dax of course D-A-X Dax he's another independent artist he better still be did he ever sign he I don't think so yeah if he signed I'm gonna punch him anyway no no <laughs> he's a pretty tough guy he is I don't know if I would want to get in the middle of that no way Jose <laughs> <laughs> Either one of these guys. But anyway, so Tom has given us permission to use anything that he's done. He was featured on Dax's video. So as we use that Fair Use Act mm -hmm. to analyze this video, let's break that down and tell me what you think about it. I think it's got some great visuals in there. Um, and just the fact that they're talking about us being misled in so many different ways from one media outlet to another from mm -hmm. you know one of the things that struck me is it's kind of weird is how everybody was so 
obsessed with using their cell phone to record what's going on. Yes. And, and his point there is that people aren't willing to help or listen. They just want to be the creator or the star or whatever. I don't know what it is. Um, somebody said that if you're looking through the screen, it doesn't feel as real. So holding that camera, videoing oh, something that's happening, wow. you are more disconnected to the reality. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's a good point. Whoa. Yeah. So if you're afraid of life, you know, just look at it through your camera. Right. <laughs> anyway, that's the ugly truth. And we're going to go ahead and close on out. But make sure you visit hangovergang.com or Dax's Facebook page or, of course, his YouTube channel. Visit Dax and, you know, buy his music. And if you want to buy that song, anything that Tom McDonald's done, then go to hangovergang.com. And thank you for listening to The Ugly Truth. Because they can't stop us. Cause we're ready to fight. Trying to brainwash us. But we won't let freedom die. The whole world's brainwashed. Everybody pick a team, start a riot in the streets. The whole world's brainwashed. It's us against them, and ain't you against me. The ugly truth. Hard to listen to, but impossible to ignore. <laughs>